Welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hi, James. Hey, Scott. Welcome back to another week of Real Personal Finance. It is good to be here. Thank you. It is. Yeah. I'm ready to to rock and roll into the next question we have today. Let's do it. Today's question is from David. And David says this. He says, Hi, Scott and James. I recently came across your podcast and I found it to be a refreshingly straightforward way to learn more about personal finances. I found your episodes about asset allocation and diversification particularly helpful, and they prompted my wife and me to diversify our portfolio to be more international. I'm wondering your thoughts on asset allocation and asset location across different account types if one is planning to use funds from different accounts at different times. My wife and I are currently 32 and hope to retire when we're 55. In the first 5 to 10 years of retirement, we plan to live off of funds from our taxable brokerage account and during those years do a series of Roth conversions in our retirement accounts to get as much as possible converted to Roth at relatively low tax rates. Ideally, we wouldn't withdraw from retirement accounts until we're in our 60s. Since we planned to use funds from our taxable brokerage account first and hopefully won't touch any qualified retirement accounts until several years later, it seems we should consider a more conservative asset allocation in our taxable brokerage than we hold in our retirement accounts. This could mean, for example, holding a more bond-heavy allocation in our taxable account. However, this would go against the common asset location advice that says to hold the most tax-inefficient assets in qualified accounts. Am I thinking about it correctly that this is a case where we should prioritize asset allocation first, even if it means less than optimal asset location? I've been trying to find information about this scenario online, but it seems mostly... Or, but it seems most asset location discussions assume one is planning to use funds from taxable brokerage accounts and qualified retirement accounts at the same time. Thanks for helping me through this. I appreciate all that you do, David. Yeah. Wow. Not not a lot to unpack there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, David, for this question. There's a there are a lot of details here. A lot oh, to man. unpack. Yeah. Uh, let's let's kind of succinctly summarize what the question is asking, though. Should we start there? Sure. All right. So what David's asking is as he's preparing for retirement, he is wisely asking, how does asset allocation impact asset location, which we'll define in a second, really asking, how do I set myself up so that in 20 plus years from today, when I do retire, I have the right mix of assets that will allow me to implement some of the retirement planning strategies I hear you guys talk about, Mm -hmm. Roth conversions, asset location, things like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Let's break this down even more. Do you mind just explaining what is asset allocation and then what is asset location? Yeah. So asset allocation we've talked about before on the podcast. So um, when we, oftentimes you'll hear us talk about like, well, how much risk do you want to take? How much, how could you stomach a loss in the markets? The biggest, um, the biggest differentiator for most people when they think about asset allocation is what percentage of my portfolio am I going to invest in stocks and what percentage of my portfolio am I going to invest in bonds? 
So bonds are again just to, to get really um, down to the to the basics. It, a bond is like you're loaning someone money, and so if I'm going to loan James money, I'm going to give James ten thousand dollars, and based on his credit worthiness, we're going to set some interest rate that he's going to pay me back every six months, and at the end of the term of that loan, he's going to give me my ten thousand dollars back. Mm-hmm. It's not an uh, of relatively speaking to stocks, it's not nearly as risky as stock because there's probably going to be some collateral on the back end that you have to promise to give me if your business fails or not that that's going to happen. You're being wildly successful at your firm. Um, But that's what a a bond is. The stock, on the other hand, uh, is I'm going to go invest in his company, James's company, and give him 10 grand. And if his, uh, now I I own whatever percentage that 10 grand buys me of the equity in his company. So every time we get profit distributions, I get a profit distribution if we're winning. And if we're losing, I get nothing. And Mm -hmm. if he goes out of business, I get nothing. Mm -hmm. So just understanding the the basic structure of that bonds are not nearly as risky as stocks, the allocation that I put to them will dramatically change my rate of return that I'm going to get in the future. Now, investing in in, uh, James's company is going to give me way more upside than just giving him a loan. But at the same time, there's way more downside. Right. So I have to be willing to stomach that. And the number one thing we can do to give ourselves the right amount of risk and return when we go invest globally around the world in stocks and bonds and maybe in real estate or in cash is we can set an asset allocation. So if I want to be conservative and I'm near retirement or I am retired, you'll often hear people say things like, maybe you should have a 50-50 stock and bond portfolio or a 60-40 stock and bond portfolio. And that's to have stocks to help drive future returns for us. But we have bonds to help protect us during the downside, or we can use the bonds to draw on during a downturn. Right. That's asset allocation. Do you think I explained that clearly? I think you explained it well. Yeah. And I think a lot of people stop at asset allocation. They think that's kind of all there is when yeah. designing a portfolio. So asset location is, you know, if James came to me and James has maybe like in, in David's instance, um, maybe you have a taxable account. So, you know, that's the where those stocks and bonds, the, the bond interest that you earn, you have to pay ordinary income tax on. And every time you sell something, if you have a gain, you have to pay either a short-term gain or a long-term gain on. Um, There's taxes to pay in a taxable account when you invest, but maybe James also has an individual retirement account or his Roth uh, IRA account, that that after-tax money, right? We've talked about pre-tax retirement accounts and post-tax Roth retirement accounts. The most common types of accounts that we see are taxable accounts. IRA accounts are like 401ks, 403bs, or we'll see Roth accounts, Roth IRAs, Roth 401ks, Roth 403bs. Mm Mm-hmm. And so the question that you can come up with if you're, if you're building assets is you can ask, well, hey, where's the most optimal place for me to put these specific types of investments? Mm-hmm. So should I put my bond funds that I have to pay um, ordinary income tax on, that income? Should I put that in the taxable account or should I put it in uh, a, an IRA account? Because it can just grow tax-free there. Right. Right. So, so the asset location is looking at where should I place specific types of investments to optimally invest, looking at it with taxes as well. Exactly. So the asset allocation piece is going to determine the return you can expect and the risk you're going to take in your investment portfolio as a whole. The asset location piece that you're talking about, that's just going to determine how much you're going to pay in taxes as that money is growing. 
the or how optimally something will grow right as well right because like if we have a if we have a a, ta- a bond fund and the bond funds peeling off interest and the taxable account i keep having to pay taxes on it yep but if if i don't have to pay taxes on it in my ira account that money just keeps keep gets keep accumulating and helps me grow faster Right. The more you're paying in taxes, the less you have compounding year after year yeah. being reinvested. And what David's asking is he's saying, okay, well, I'm thinking ahead to the future. In retirement, I'm probably going to be drawing down my taxable account first mm-hmm. as I do a series of conversions, systematically just moving money from my IRAs to my Roth IRAs. So what David's thinking is I should be more conservative in that account because that's the account I'll spend down first. But to be conservative means probably owning more of those bond investments that Scott's talking about. And those bond investments aren't as tax efficient as the stock investments. So there's these competing interests of, is my goal to maximize growth or is my goal, is my goal to focus on asset allocation, mean how much growth I'm going to have in my portfolio, or is it asset location of having the right investments in the right accounts because they're seemingly contradictory in this example he's using. There's some tension there. Yeah. And I think where we could go even just before we even dive into his specific example, if if James came to me and said, Scott, I'm not going to retire until I'm 70. And so I really just want to look at how to optimize all of this growth and um, be tax efficient. But I'm just going to start needing to take money from any account at any time. Well, then- the, the stuff you'll go read about asset location makes a ton of sense because mm-hmm. the stuff you'll read about asset location will say like, well, hey, if the time horizon for everything is the same, then just treat it all the same as one big portfolio and now go allocate to the best location that's the most tax efficient for the thing you're investing in. Right. Right. Like that's going to be the answer. So like real estate investment trusts, we've talked about them briefly. Um, they pay like 90% of their income has to get paid out every year. Mm-hmm. And it's ordinary income. And it's usually a high amount of income relative to the size of the price of the, the fund. So it's usually not a really efficient thing to have in a taxable account. Yep. It's usually way more efficient to have it in an IRA account or a Roth IRA account. Yeah. Right. Like that's that's kind of a clear example. Um, but then from there, like if we look at that, and that's maybe his overall, you know, James's overall allocation was going to be 70 30 uh, across his million dollars of investments. And let's say he had a half million in taxable and he had 400,000 in an IRA and a hundred thousand in a Roth. Well, then we would just start allocating the most inefficient things into the Roth first. And then the uh, next down the line of inefficient things go into the IRA. And then the most efficient things would go into his taxable account. That's just how we would, we would do asset location. If you go read about it or do anything, that's what you'll see. Uh, David's question is, is, nuanced and, and it's harder because the answer is like, he's going to want to use taxable money before he's going to want to use his IRA money and his Roth money. Well, before he's even eligible to use his IRA money is his thing. So exactly to your point, if you're 55, right, you can't touch your IRA without penalty Until with few exceptions. You right. can do this thing called the 72 T's um, to, to get access to it ahead of time potentially. But even just looking at efficiency, um, yeah, he's, he's going to want to have a more more than likely his thought process to me, and you tell me if you feel differently, he is going to want to have a more conservative portfolio in the taxable account when he retires. I don't necessarily know that that means he needs to have one right now. Right. Well, that that's, that's kind of walk through what should he, what should David be considering or someone facing a similar question be considering as they answer this question for yeah. themselves. Where, where would you start? Well, let's start with that. What is your time horizon? Yeah. So in this example, David is, 
32 and he wants to retire at 55, that's still 23 years until retirement. Right. So yes, you're going to use the the brokerage account first, the taxable accounts first, but you have 23 years until you start tapping into anything. Mm-hmm. So if I'm David, I'm focused way more upon the growth I want to get and what's the right asset allocation far more than the asset location at this point. Yeah. And if you have 23 years until retirement, you could you could certainly make the case to be pretty aggressive in your investments. Mm-hmm. Meaning you don't own much or any bonds, depending on your strategy. He could potentially have a hundred percent allocation to equity, to stocks across, across the board, all the accounts. If he has a really solid emergency fund somewhere else, he and his we didn't. I think it said he and his wife. Maybe they have really stable jobs, or they could go find jobs really quickly. Uh, they're not worried about losing a bunch of money in a downturn. And the key is they can stomach when downturns happen. Yep. They're not going to move out of it, right? Yeah. If that's the case, sure, go be aggressive. You'll generate more wealth faster. A- absolutely. And in that case, asset location, I don't want to say it doesn't matter because even within stocks, you might have some stocks that pay dividends and some stocks that pay no dividends. So right. there's still some stocks that are more tax efficient than others, mm-hmm. but there's not the highly tax inefficient investments that you might be having if you had high yield bonds, for instance. Yeah. Like REITs, you probably still want to have, try to have in the retirement accounts if possible. You know, um, international stocks and international funds, it's often nice to have in taxable accounts because you can get the foreign um, tax credits there mm-hmm. where you don't get them if they're in the, the retirement accounts. So there's things you can do um, for sure. But I, I'm, I'm fully on board with what you're saying. Yeah. And I, I think just to summarize, if there is ever tension between asset allocation and asset location, asset allocation wins. That, that should be the priority. Asset location is kind of a secondary consideration of once you've yeah. already determined what is the right mix of investments, not because of your tax situation, not because of anything like that, but what what do you need for your plan? Then you bring asset location into the picture to say, okay, now how do we divvy up these different asset classes into the different accounts? Totally. Yeah. And we kind of, you know, to, to put a, a pin on that one, we kind of just, you know, asset location is about after tax returns, but we don't want to let taxes wag the dog, right? Or the tail wag the dog. Yeah. <laughs> we don't we don't want we don't want taxes to drive our choices with what we're doing with portfolios to get to the goals that we have. Mm-hmm. It is a it is a choice we make once we know the goal to, to your point. I think right. that's that's really an important component. Yep. Um, you know another thing that's a touch it's a touch more nuanced, but you're not seeing a tremendous amount of asset location now and there's there's a bit of a reason for that. Um when bond funds and bonds were just paying more, they were paying higher interest rates, location mattered more. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if I was earning 10% interest on a bond and I was in the highest tax bracket in California, so I'm paying effectively close to a 50% tax on ordinary income between the state and the federal government, well, then I don't necessarily want to keep that bond in a taxable account. I want right. to shift it over to um, or, you know, an IRA or a Roth IRA. But if now I'm getting like 1% on that same bond, um, well, the 50 cents versus the $5 of mm-hmm. tax that I was paying before, it's not nearly as impactful. Right. Right. So asset location, there's a number of things that drive whether or not it matters. It is a nuance. It is something that you can use to help pick up a bit of return. Um, in the long run, but I wouldn't let it be the main driver of your life. Agreed. And I think that's the next thing to consider is just, well, your overall tax bracket for one. 
Yeah. If you're in a very low tax bracket, asset location makes almost no difference. It doesn't matter if it's a dividend or if it's interest on a bond or if it's a capital gain. If you're in the lowest tax bracket, you're paying the same tax on all of it, which is nothing. Yeah. It's really as your income starts to climb and your tax bracket starts to climb, that's where asset allocation makes more and more of a difference. Uh, the second piece and the example you just brought up yeah. illustrates this perfectly is the role of municipal bonds. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll see people, what a municipal bond is, is when you own a bond and it's in a municipality, then oftentimes it's exempt from taxes. Right. Now, what's happening is people say, okay, great. Well, then I'm going to own only municipal bonds or muni bonds inside of my taxable accounts because mm-hmm. I don't want to pay taxes. But what they fail to realize is the the interest rate on a muni bond is not the same as the interest rate on a taxable bond called a corporate bond of some type. Yeah. Do you want to explain how that works? Yeah, so uh, sure. Uh, so just to, to back up a touch. So uh, t- we talked about bonds before. Bonds are just loans that are happening where we're lending money to some organization and they're giving us interest back and eventually they'll give us our money back. So we can obviously do that with governments like the US government has treasury bills, notes, and uh, bonds. And then with gov- local governments, state governments and, and cities, you can get what are called municipal bonds. A municipal bond can have a, a preferred uh tax treatment. Mm -hmm. So like in California, if you're a California resident and you get a California general obligation bond for the state of California, you don't pay federal tax or state tax on that bond. But guess what happens to the interest rate? It gets priced for the fact that you don't have to pay those taxes. Right. So what we always care about when we look at like equivalents of owning things is what's the time horizon that we're going to hold something for? What's the credit rating? And then we look at the, we basically just run the math for, am I paying taxes or not paying taxes? Yeah. And then we just see which one's better. Yeah. I'll what's- happily pay taxes and earn more return uh, on something than pay let make return less and pay no taxes on a muni bond, if that's the equivalency that I'm looking at. Exactly. And let's use a simple example in this, these rates will not be even close to what rates are paying today. But let's, let's say that you had a corporate bond that paid 10% interest, much higher than anything today. And let's say you had a municipal bond that paid 5% interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and let's say that I'm in a 30% combined tax bracket. Mm-hmm. Well, I say, okay, well, I, I want to own the muni bond because I don't have to pay any taxes on that, which is great. So I go invest in a muni bond and I get 5%. And after taxes, I still get a 5% return because there's no, there's no tax obligation on that. But instead of doing that, I could have simply gone and purchased the corporate bond, got a 10% rate of return. If I'm in a 30% tax bracket, take out 30% of that for taxes. So 3%, I get a 7% after tax return. And people oftentimes don't actually kind of put those two pieces together. They just see muni bond good because there's no taxes, which which it can be very good, but it depends upon your tax bracket. Yeah. So even with asset location, there are ways to pay nothing in taxes, even on the bond portion of your portfolio by getting these muni bonds, but do the math first. Would the after-tax yield of a taxable bond still be superior to the tax-free interest you'd be getting on a muni bond? Right. Absolutely. So just do the math on that, but making sure you know what your tax bracket is and the the kind of after-tax returns of everything in your portfolio is another important thing to consider here. Yes. Cool. And then I think the last piece that I would add to this is this doesn't have to be static. Yeah. And that's kind of where I was going with um, the comment for what 
David was looking at ahead of time. Obviously, we can't give David recommendation because he's not our client. We don't know enough about him to answer this. But if he's looking at 23 years out for sure to retirement, and he's not going to look need have any need for that taxable money ahead of time, there may not be a need for him to be more conservative as he was asking. Mm-hmm. Right? It might make sense, as we were saying before, to just go full, go go into whatever level or degree he needs to have. The more he can dial up the risk, the faster he gets to his um, financial freedom goal. Yep. And then once he gets there, he's going to want to look at how to adjust these portfolios to be as efficient as possible for the next phase of life. Yep. Yeah, fully agree. The asset allocation is going to change as time goes on. The mix yeah. of stocks and bonds, the asset location will change over time as he gets closer to retirement and get cl- gets closer to being in a position to implement some of the Roth conversion and tax strategies that he talked about. So don't treat this like it has to be a one and done thing. Uh, focus on the asset allocation like we talked about. That should take precedent over asset location, but then make sure that it's dynamic and reflecting your time horizon, reflecting kind of goals changing and even reflecting tax changing over time, but making sure that Absolutely. you're keeping this up yeah. to date. <laughs> we might get a whole new tax bill and then all this stuff changes. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you know, who knows? We'll see what happens. For now, we'll plan with the, the, the laws that we have. The laws we have. That's right. So, all right. Well, anything else you'd add to this, Scott? No, just just that we appreciate your questions. Please keep sending them in. Um, if if you do, if you're listening to this, if you found anything that we've said to be helpful, just please take a minute to leave a review on um, on iTunes so that people can find us. You know, we're doing this to help people get educated about finance, about personal finance, so that you can make better choices in your own life. So, if you've used any of this to be helpful to you, please take a minute to leave a review so that we can help other people. Yep. Fully agreed. Thanks, Scott. And uh, thank you, David, for the question. Thank you. See y'all next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co. And there's a section on the bottom of each page there where you can submit your question for us to answer in a future episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.